Is it rolling, Bob? Talking Dylan. He's your host, Lucas Hare. He's your host, Kerry Shale. But she's our special guest, actress Sheila Atim. This place don't make sense to me no more. Can you tell me what we're waiting for, senor? Oh. <laughs> senor. Certainly yeah. nobody's ever uh, chosen that as, as an opening. Oh, okay. I find it one of his most difficult songs. Why, mm. why did you uh, choose that? Well, I did pick it because of Brexit. <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, partly because of Brexit, because I don't know what's going on. And mm. that line encapsulates that for me but also because it was one of my favourite songs in the show Girl from the North Country mm. um, and one of my favourite moments as well in terms of what was going on theatrically mm. um, yeah that's why what was going on theatrically because although I've got the album I can't remember exactly what so was going on so it's just after the moment when we find out that Elias has drowned oh, yes. um, and Elias is the the son of the Burke family um, who has learning difficulties and it's, yeah, it kind of goes into this montage and this uh, medley mm. of Duquesne Whistle into Signor into Is Your Love in Vain. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and I just always thought it was a really beautiful moment. And I thought the song itself was beautiful, but also Simon's orchestration of it and the, you know, all the Simon harmonies. Hale, it was just, he yeah, Simon I Hale. mentioned nice and early. Cause, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and just, yeah, I don't know. It was It was something about transitioning from the kind of transcendent moment of um, of Duquesne Whistle, which is all kind of, you know, clicks and clapping and energy yeah. and and dancing in time, which is kind of the only moment, really, in the show that we had that was close to anything heavily choreographed. Yeah. Um, and then sliding into Signor afterwards and we were all kind of moving furniture and, yeah, it was something very poignant about that moment for me. I think there was, I was saying this to Kerry earlier, what I loved about the way those songs sat together is you'd be in the middle of, of a song, you know, like a Rolling Stone or something, and then suddenly the middle eight of, a, of another song, which is often where the most emotional bit resides in, with Dylan, just came at you like, you know, the storm was raging on the rolling sea and on the highway of regret. And you'd yeah, yeah. be immediately there and they would sit together so, so well. And there was something so theatrical about it because they were dramatic shifts in emotion and they happened so quickly and so effortlessly. Um, and that was certainly one of them. And also, I, I loved at the time and consider, and continue to think about that there were, you know, two, I think three songs from the album Street Legal, which is quite a niche album. You know, yeah. I like it a lot. But you don't expect to have... In a, in a Bob Dylan show, I, I'm not going to call it a Bob Dylan musical because that's, I think, problematic calling it that. But, you know, you don't expect three songs from Street Legal. I was so happy, <laughs> you know, particularly Is Your Love in Vain, which I know Kerry doesn't like and I do. But, uh, <laughs> oh, you <laughs> dumped you in it, didn't I? Uh, no, it's. <clears throat> yeah, that's it's my, not own, just you. my own. It's not one of my, it's one of my. It's one of my least favorite Dylan songs. Mm. So I was. I understood why it was in the uh, the show, but can can we just? I'm not trying to wheeze a lot of this. Can we sort of go back in time mm. and just before before you did Girl from the North Country? Wh- where were you with Bob Dylan? Uh, oh, I knew I knew of him. I knew his importance in the uh, in a kind of musical canon, mm-hmm. um, and you know from a, from a kind of writing aspect as well, his literature. He'd already won the Nobel Prize, uh, I think, for literature once we'd started rehearsals. Mm. Just one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I knew of him. I knew his most 
popular songs like, uh, you know, Rolling Stone. And I knew... I knew a lot more of his songs than I realised I did because I was more familiar with some of the covers than I was oh, yeah. with his music. Mm-hmm. Any in particular that you remember? The covers? So, uh, Make You Feel My Love is a song that... I did know that before the show, yeah. but is a song that was made famous for me by Adele. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, of a lot of people. Have yeah, yeah, I mean, that was around the time when I was growing up, so, you yeah. know, so that's mm. kind of what I heard. Um, and there's ugh, loads more that I can't even pick off the top of my head but yeah. songs like that which have or all along the watchtower for example which of course i was very familiar with the Jimi hendrix version mm. um so yeah it, it then started to i i've always known this guy's name and why he was important but it wasn't something that was of my time and he was sure. kind of one of the artists that i felt i was getting around to you know like mm-hmm. he was on the list of people that i know i have to yeah. Uh, give some time in the same way you have a list of books and a list of films and a list of whatever else that Mm. you need to get through before you're X years old Um, so the show kind of forced me to do that so did the show come via an audition or a workshop or how did it happen for you? For me, I was brought in at an audition stage when they already commissioned it to go on at the time it went on but there had been workshops before um, which a lot of the final cast had been a part of but I hadn't been a part of. Um, and, yeah, they were they were run by the old Vic and Connor. And um, t- to my, my understanding is that there was so much music before. <laughs> there was, mm. like, you know, because Connor was sent the whole back catalogue. And I'm not even... I'm not familiar with, like, album names and things. Yeah, yeah, sure. But, but Connor listened to the whole thing. And he, Connor McPherson, who wrote it and directed yeah. it. And mm. he... And that's why he's got songs from albums that are a little bit more obscure um, or from a very, very long time ago. Yeah. And it was interesting because when we were doing the run, a lot of, uh, you know, real, some serious Dylan fans came. Mm. And oh, they man. were all very pleasant, <laughs> yeah, and they were all very pleasantly surprised yeah. to hear songs that they didn't know um, or songs that they didn't assume would be in the show. Mm. Um, you know, and... I, my understanding is there was there was like a conscious effort to steer away from anything that was too well known. Mm. We did have like a Rolling Stone in there. We did have Forever Young in there, um, but that was that was I think purposeful to some degree because it was to to make sure that we could steer the attention away from that. Yeah. And also, he has enough material, you know, yes. that you're not you're not you're kind of spoilt for choice in terms of what you want to use to be able to tell the story. And also, you got bits of songs that didn't need to necessarily comment on the action or be, you know, great um, sort of flag-waving moments in, in the drama. They were more kind of little little moments into in people's inner monologues, weren't yes. they? These yeah. tiny snatches of songs, and you suddenly thought, this is the way people think, this mm-hmm. is the world people inhabit, and if we want it to be, this can also be the world where you know, you ain't going nowhere comes on in the house and everyone knows it and they all dance mm. to it. You know, yeah. it's, it created this wonderful world out of the songs, I thought. So, so sorry, but going back again, did the, <laughs> was it just one audition? Because musicals notoriously have many callbacks. Yeah, no, that was, yeah, that was one audition. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, and, you know, like you said earlier, the term musical is sort of, yeah. like, it's it's loose yeah. in, in relation to this production. Um, so... Yeah, it wasn't a case of come in a room and do a do a song and do a do a dance bit and do a thing. I, I did have to go in and sing, "I Want You," but it was very low key and yeah. you know, kind of played the guitar and it was just kind of sing it how you hear it type mm. vibe. Um, very relaxed, very laid back. I think Connor's very good at spotting uh, what he wants early on. You yeah. know, he's he's got 
a very good eye for um his his vision is um quite extraordinary i think and so yeah i you know i guess he didn't and so when was the script um how much work was done in rehearsals quite a bit um th there'd been at least two workshops i think before i came on board so mm. there'd already been a lot of work happening there so the script didn't uh, it didn't change massively but it also did it, it, in the kind of the minutiae of the thing it, it shifted and a few scenes moved around. But you still essentially had the same play that you had when you started rehearsals. Yeah. But because there's so much um, fine-tooth comb work that happens with Connor in a, in a sort of almost imperceptible way, actually, to the actors, we sort of don't realise it's happening yeah. until you do the piece and then you go, oh, my gosh, there's all these layers that we couldn't yeah. even see because we were kind of inside it. Mm. Um, so that stuff is probably the stuff that was constantly, you know, shifting. Um, and a few lines were cut here and there and introduced mm. and, and songs moved around and songs were cut and songs were introduced. I mean, yeah, the songs being introduced was intense because like, <laughs> we'd have learned a song and, you know, what you're talking about with the middle eight of a song coming yeah. in, you know, that was happening in previews. Like, God, right. we're just going to learn this <clears> tune <throat> okay. and we're going to whack that into that moment. Yeah, like, I wonder about okay. that because I, I, I saw an early preview and then I actually saw the press night, so I saw it within those, mm -hmm. whatever it was, two weeks, was it? Yeah, yeah, it was about two weeks. And I was, uh, uh, one thing that struck me uh, was, when I saw it on the press night, was the uh, the final back projection, I think it was a back projection, yes, yeah. when, of what... I don't know if that was a Dylan drawing or was it a... Because I just remember this this uh, telephone pole mm -hmm. stroke cross. Yeah. Uh, it was very explicit to me, Christian imagery, which is proper and right for, for the play. Mm. But when did that show up? Yeah, that was at some point in the previous... Dur during the previous... Can't remember. Because to me, I was really surprised with the reviews because to me there was, there was so many references to his Christian period and, and to the mysterious, your mysterious, your mm -hmm. character's mysterious baby. Mm. Um, and I was surprised because I don't, don't think I read any of the critics picking up on that. Yeah. Was there, yeah. Did, did you chat about things like symbolism in, in when you were rehearsing? Not or just really. Get on with the. No. I mean, it was, it was all kind of there for you to discover should you want to. Mm. And. Um, you know, things like things like Marianne's baby, for example, I mean, there was no definitive decision made mm. on what that was. There was there was brief conversation surrounding it and surrounding, you know, whether she was strictly a virgin or not and all these kind of things. Mm. Um, but ultimately, I was allowed to decide that because it didn't really affect anyone else in the play mm. if mm. they knew or they didn't. Mm. Um, except maybe Dr. Walker, who is sort of dealing with her pregnancy and is trying to work out what's going on um so yeah a lot of that stuff as i said you know it was kind of imperceptible it was the layers were being fed in and clearly we were making dis our own decisions on that stuff without yeah. realizing what we were making decisions on <laughs> and yes. then once you zoom out and you see the whole thing in its entirety you realise how your small decisions about your character fit into the, mm. you know, the, the scale of everything else. So how long did it rehearse for? Because there's, I mean, there's such a lot to kind of ground mm. to cover. Yeah, it rehearsed for six weeks. Is that all? God. Yeah, which when I, you know, when I think about the amount that we did, isn't that long a period of time? I mean, it was really easy as well. Yeah. It was a really easy rehearsal process. Yeah. <laughs> I was so unstressed. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, I mean, it was watching it. I've got to say, I saw a, a very early matinee because um, I was doing a show at the time. This is the only time I could come. Uh, but it was pretty early on, and I remember within minutes, 
maybe even seconds, just being in a place of heightened emotion. Mm. <laughs> and, I, and being like that for the rest of the show. And I wasn't, yeah. I'd never experienced that before. Mm. I mean, you're, you, when you did Tight Connection to My Heart, that's, that's very, very early on. I yeah. think most of the audience were in kind of emotional tatters by then, if not, if not during that, because it was just so moving, mm. you know. And it sort of broke the, the show open. Yeah. I th- and I, I think, I don't know how many people who came to it were Bob Dylan fans, but you could feel that everybody... Yeah. I, I was saying to uh, the guy that I was with uh, this, the second time I went to see it that I think I'm going to have more trouble with this than you are because he wasn't a huge Bob Dylan buff, and I was. And I think it's it's harder because you're, yeah, kind of know too many yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a tight connection to my heart w- w- was absolutely magical in the way it broke the whole audience open. Was that there from the beginning in that position in the show? And did you have the number from I the beginning? I think so. I think, do you know, I can't remember. I think Tight Connection might have been a new edition. I I think it was a new edition from the workshops. Wow. So I hadn't heard, I hadn't, because I received a recording of some of the workshop stuff. Right. Um, and I hadn't heard that one. So I think that was one that he introduced in I can't remember if it was in the early days of rehearsal or if it was just before we started. Mm. Um, but actually, you know, Marianne was down to sing Lovesick. Oh, really? Later oh. on in the play. And to also sing a version of Make You Feel My Love that was involving other characters. And so there were other wow. musical plans for this. Yeah. Um, and then Lovesick was kind of still on the cards, but we started with Tight Connection first. And then as that developed, it became clear that we didn't really need Lovesick. And so, uh, yeah, that was, I, I can't remember, but that was a relatively late addition in comparison to some of the right. other pieces of music. I guess Lovesick is quite direct lyrically, isn't it? They might yeah. have felt it was a bit too on point. Well, it was also at the, the point at which it was due to come in. We just, did, we just didn't really need any music yeah, then, yeah, yeah. or need mm. any more music. It was kind of, it was all sort of done. Can you, because I know people listening to this will want, will want to know, can you remember any of the other songs that were cut? Oh, one of my favourite songs. Oh, gosh. I heard it in, in a shop the other day. I stopped and I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, oh, um, The Man in Me. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh I, love I loved that. I yeah. love that too. Have you seen yeah. The Big Lebowski? No. Because it opens The Big Lebowski. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which I is where a lot that. of people, I think, first heard it. That's a great song. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah. Because um, um, you recorded the soundtrack in Abbey Road, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I don't know if you had time to kind of, you know, do things like the songs that you cut. Probably not. No, but, no, uh, we just we just went just through. We were all it. so tired. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, we just went through everything that we knew. And yeah. Actually, we yeah. had a, we had a slight disagreement about this because I noticed that "Girl from the North Country" the, the song is on the album "Girl mm-hmm. from the North Country," but I don't remember it being in the show. Yes, because it was underneath a scene. Yeah, I remember. And, hearing but was it, it sung or just an instrumental? No, it was sung. It was sung. Mm. It was, oh, very, it was, very it was an a cappella. Oh, because it, yeah, mm. it's so simple on the album, and I thought not. Nah, just oh, okay, so it was yeah, it. yeah. It was that, and it was very, very quiet. It's ha- it was happening underneath the moment where Mr. Perry and Marianne are talking at the Thanksgiving just before Hurricane, oh. um, and he's ab- essentially sealing the deal mm-hmm. on the marriage. And he's like, and he does this massive speech about what happens when you get old, and you know they're having this kind of tense exchange where she's basically, you know giving him some aggro mm. for um, wanting to come in and, and marry me. Um, and then it breaks and then everyone comes into the party and then we have Hurricane. Right, so of course I remember that scene, mm-hmm. but I'm afraid 
Yeah, I yeah. wasn't I listening to the I do no, know yeah, no, but, but yeah. I couldn't tell you when. But just going back to to tight connection. So when they presented it to you, when Simon Hale said, or or, or Connor McPherson said, "This is this is your song." Was it arranged? Had you heard Dylan's version? Was it no, a- no. So I basically looked. So on the first day of rehearsal, when we started singing. I sort of had a little paranoid moment because I hadn't done any of the workshops and mm. some of the songs had been there from the workshops. So yeah. some people remembered those arrangements. And our way of working was not um, as prescriptive as the MD bashing out the notes on yeah. the keyboard, which is what often happens. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. Um, but we just didn't do it that way. Yeah. And I think a big part of that was because when you listen to lots of um, recordings of Dylan, whether they're live or in the studio, he's, he's, he changes the melody himself. Mm-hmm. There are always different versions and different arrangements. Um, so we sort of thought, well, we have license to do that yeah. ourselves as well. So we often sort of hear the song once and then mumble our way through it as a group, even if it was a solo song, mm-hmm. mumble our way through it, trying to pick out a melody that naturally settled yeah. over time with repetition, yeah. which meant the first time singing anything through was always really like horribly sort of unsure yeah, <laughs> tentative and yeah and yeah. everyone's sort of looking at each other like oh god I don't know what I'm you know because you sort of it's just that performance instinct where you want to be sure yeah. and they're raw something. songs as well you know yeah. emotionally yeah. particularly the way you all did them they're so raw and so exposing and there's a lot of words as well yeah. so in terms yeah. of like where things are falling mm. you know it just it was like everyone going <laughs> <laughs> Like it was really tensive, <laughs> yeah. um, you know. And Connor was like playing the guitar the whole time, so he was strumming away mm. and and singing along, and and it was yeah, it was, oh, it was great. I meant to as, about take connection. So did you sing the whole thing, the original thing, including the guy in the powder blue wig? That whole no, 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 I didn't do so that. So he, he, he'd already that had already been cut. Had. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I yeah. was just I always wondered if. That was yeah, no, that was never, that was never, once we sung it through a couple of times, it was like, yeah, that's that's long enough. Um, but yeah, so Connor, you know, came in and said, I'm thinking of this, have you listened to it? And I said, yes, I've listened to the original version. <laughs> uh, yeah, what did you make of it? Yeah, well, I was just like, okay, I don't know where the melody is there. Um, mm. You know, it's like, it's one of the much more speaky-singy ones. Yeah, right, there basically isn't really speaking, a, yeah. I mean, apart from the chorus. Apart from the women, yeah. yeah. Totally. And mm. the chorus, which is sort of... <clears throat> You know, but so I was I, I wasn't really bothered about the the kind of musical genre and the style in that sense because I knew that that was up for grabs, right. and I sort of trusted. I'd, I'd already made a little playlist of the kind of the songs that had featured in the script when I received the script before right. we started rehearsals, right. even the bits of underscore. So right. I had like Ballad of the Thin Man mm-hmm. and Dear Landlord and all those on it, just to get a sense. So I was already aware that this guy had a. This guy, Bob Dylan, had a huge kind of breadth of um, timbres and sounds mm. in his archive. So yeah. I was like, this could end up being anything, I don't mind. Yeah. It was just that there was no melody. So I thought, what do we, where do we start? And kind of sort of like mumbled the... And so I sort of joined in and then we had the... And then that was it. And then he was like, okay, have a sing of that. And so the first time I sang it, I just sort of went with that. Um, And he played the guitar. And then it was essentially kind of go home and next time you come back, 
see how it's developed. So it just, and that's how everyone's songs were, really. I mean, some songs were a lot more informed by original recordings than others because there's yeah. more melody in those songs, naturally. Mm-hmm. But everyone was encouraged to not worry too much about what's mm. in the studio album recording. You know? But I think that's, I think I'm right in saying, I, I believe this anyway, that that's why they sound like such emotionally truthful musical soliloquies mm-hmm. because they do there is an element to some of those arrangements that sounds like the characters have just made them up which gives them such a, a vitality and immediacy yeah. it works so so well it's also because everyone's everyone's voices in the company were completely different mm. i mean you know we had like people who had real rock sounds yeah know, like kind of gravelly um gritty rock sounds you had soul singers people like arinze kenny who mm. you know has a beautiful um, rich soul kind of tenor sound. Mm-hmm. You had people who were more bluesy, and that lends itself very well again to Dylan's music because yeah. it, it can be any of those really. Um, so it also became fitting for each person's voice mm. for them to be able to take the arrangement and do with it what they wanted because yeah. then you really get people go where they want to go in their voice, and as you're saying, it, it then becomes an emotional. Um, it, it's emotionally true to the person who is singing it yes. because you've chosen where to take that melody in response to what's emotionally happening for you in that song. That, um, so. that make, yeah, makes perfect sense, particularly, I guess, I mean, the whole Duquesne whistle was um, the other thing that sort of blew the show oh, yeah. apart. And it was so unexpected. If, do you remember how that came about? Or? All I remember it, is Jack, <laughs> Jack Chaloux, who played Elias, mm. saying to me one day, he kind of sidled up to me, and he went, so I'm going to be in a white suit. And I just burst out laughing. I was like, what? He was like, yeah, I'm going to be in a white suit, mate. It's going to be great. Um, I'm going to come back from the dead in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, that is going to look... And I never got to see that moment because I was always standing in front of him at right. that point. Uh, but every single time that moment happened, I just f- felt so flooded with, I don't know, some kind of extraordinary feeling because right. I could almost see how it looked from where I was, you know, him coming out in this white suit and everyone kind of going still and this light on him and his incredible, um, his incredible vocal range in this silence when we've all learned that, you know, he's drowned. It was just incredibly arresting. Um, And it's funny because, you know, Jack, Jack grew up in Essex, like, a couple of roads away from me. We just didn't meet each other properly until we were both in the industry. Um, And so, you know, it was really nice working with him because I'd met him before and we have a sort of shorthand in the way we speak because we both grew up in the same area. So it was so funny kind of knowing him, this kind of guy from Hornchurch, um, Hmm. who's like a very, you know, fun, easygoing, lovely guy having this incredibly, like, powerful moment um, in the show that was sort of... Yeah, it was just really intense, but it was it was really beautiful. Did it did it develop over rehearsals as well? Because it, it is it's kind of meant to be a showstopper, mm-hmm. and but an actor wouldn't say mm, to the director, "Yeah, I think I see this as a showstopper." I'm, yeah, no, it just sort of became, you know, because uh, Lucy Hind, who did all the choreography on the show, or the movement, I should say, you know, there was there was all with all the movement actually there was. Uh, how to tread the fine line between a kind of choreographed sequence and something that looks like it's very naturally evolved out of nowhere mm. and then dissolves again, but mm. not in the, you know, when you're then putting that in the context of something that's not a big jazz hands flashing lights musical no. with a tiny band, you know, you don't have an or- you don't have a pit orchestra. Um, so is it was about trying to balance all these um, kind of nuances and 
that was the only moment which pushed it a little bit further. But mm. even in that moment, it wasn't particularly, um, you know, five, six, seven, eight. Mm. Um, we had choreographed moves and that was, we had counts. Um, but the the vibe and the, the attitude towards it was still very much in the same vein as all the other movement, you know, yeah. kind of. And for me, that moment became, it became supernatural, you know, in a way that you have allusions to that in other moments, but you're still mm. very much rooted in the the reality of those people. Yes. You know, we've got a character who's just died, or we've just been told is dead, singing taking the lead on the song so for me I was like this is now able to go wherever it needs to go yeah um and for all for I know for me this is how I felt anyway as an actor having to go from the place of um hearing the news as Marianne um of Elias passing away to then having to partake in you know essentially being his backup dancer mm. was very interesting because then th these people are no longer they're kind of serving his ascendance into heaven if you want you know mm -hmm. or whatever you deem that moment to be um so you were therefore able to kind of go outside of yourself mm. because in that moment in the in the living room i would not be you know swinging my legs and kicking mm. and <laughs> and ooing and ahhing so it was it was yeah like a true moment of transcendence i think well it was pr it, it properly was dylan-esque and properly theatrical and they the two sat together very well i think yeah i mean what about the, um, I mean, when it was on, it was, it, was a, it was a big talking point in London, you know. It was very exciting for Dylan fans like us and for everyone else too. Uh, who came to see it that you know of? Did, did, did word sort of trickle out? Or? Everyone saw it. Yeah? Everyone. And when I say everyone, I mean, like, a lot of people who aren't in the industry see it. A lot of, like, serious fans. A lot of people who had never really heard of him. A lot of people who don't like his music. Yeah. You know, you just had the whole breadth. You had older people, younger people. It was like a really um, unifying piece of theatre. Yeah. Um, and it was great because one of my sort of biggest, um, <laughs> not fears as such, because I didn't really care, but one of the things I really thought was how are the fans going to respond? Mm, how are like, yeah. the fans' fans? And like, sure. on the, the first couple of previews, especially because the old Vic does this £10 seats thing mm -hmm. in the previews, um, where most of the house is ten pounds, so you had a lot of like guys with some serious beards like, <laughs> and black t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, some yeah. guys with t-shirts saying like Dylan, like yeah. in capital letters oh, no. across the chest, and they're just sitting there like, come at me, like, no what are you going to yeah. give me? Okay. And I was like, woo, okay, sure. Um, all, all wrecks within about two minutes. Yeah, I loved it. Probably, like yeah. standing ovations, first one up at the end. And I just right. thought, you know, and I had a chat with one guy in the bar who he didn't live in London and he was here for a couple of days on, I don't know whether it was business or something. And he doesn't go to theatre often. Mm. And he said, I just saw, I stumbled across this. So I was walking around. So I thought, mm. oh, I'll buy a ticket. Mm. And he was like, I absolutely loved it. And he was by himself. And he only bought it because he was a Dylan fan. And, you know, so people who aren't even really theatre-goers mm. um, went to see it. Um, and the people who weren't huge fans of his music before, often because of his voice, which I don't understand because I love his voice. Yeah. And I love the way it's evolved. Mm. I really, really do. A lot mm. of people go like, oh, yeah, he's got this, like, you know, like, sounds, this drony kind of... I just love it. I, it doesn't, he doesn't sound like anyone else. Mm. And uh, that is at all points in his career mm. when his voice was completely changing. It still always sounds like him. Yeah. And every time... A, a Dylan song comes on the radio that I haven't heard before. I know it's him yes. in an instant, you know. Um, so, yeah, so those people who weren't huge fans before really appreciated being able to hear the songs 
inside another context and with other yeah. voices on top of them and therefore were really able to appreciate this man um, and his music and his work. So, yeah, it was just it was just brilliant. It was so... Um, it was a show for everyone, I think. Do you think we'll ever know if the man himself has an opinion that he's seen it in any of its incarnations? Do you know what? I d oh. Impossible question. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like we would have known. I mean, I, f oh, I feel... Oh, you definitely would have, Yeah, sure. I feel like we would have known if he'd come. Because he couldn't have gone through the front door unless he was... I know... In I did hoodie. always picture yeah, him. No. I did always picture him yeah. like a trench coat and hat. Yeah. But I think it would have just been too... Like mm. at a show that's got his yeah, music it would have been in insane. It. Yeah, you yeah. would have been torn apart. Um, so he would have had to go through the back door, yeah. and there was no notice at stage door that he'd ever come. No, um, I did have like fantasies of him like leaving a little post-it note saying like "Well done" or "Good show" or something really like abrupt and simple. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that didn't happen. But I know he. We were very much in touch with his team. And they, they saw the show multiple times and really liked it. And he'd Great. been sent clips of things and he said he liked it. So, yeah, that's good enough for me. It's Absolutely. Yeah. And he was, even, he was even, on the first day of rehearsal, we all got mugs from the old Vic with our names on them. And they even gave him a mug. I mean, I don't know if he's, I don't know who has it now. Someone else has got it. But Dylan a, a Bob Dylan mug was printed for him. For his as a, was one of the creatives. Just in case he rocked up. Yeah, just yeah. in case. <laughs> Which I, re I really like. It's the kind of optimistic forward planning of that. Yeah. I like that too. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's funny because within, you know, within the D Dylan fan and the acting um, world, particularly in London, everybody was saying, do you think he's been? Do you think he's been? Yeah. Oh, well, no, uh, I think Jeff Rosen might have been, but um, yes. I'm not sure Dylan's been. And, and then, of course, it was the West End and now it's on Broadway. And rumours still abound as to whether he might have put in an appearance in New York. I have no idea. Yeah, no idea. No idea. I have no idea. And I sort of, I quite like that. Yeah. I yeah, exactly. never know. It's in a way, isn't it sort of disappointing if... Yeah, if you, you know, made he, a big thing of he it. He gave you his blessing and it's not, yeah, it's yeah. not Bob. And also it was blessing enough him saying, have all the music. Of course, You know, exactly. that was enough, really. Take my work, yeah, and do what you want. that is sort of, yeah, it's highly unusual. Do you think... Well, just I'm st I'm still really interested uh, in uh, Take Connection. In that, did you did you have any insights after doing it like fifty times? Like, oh, oh I yeah, think, all the know. time. It was kind of annoying because <laughs> I was like, oh, that's what that means. Oh, if I'd known that like last week when my mates were in, but <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. Well, what did you make of it? Uh, sort of ultimately, because I've I've been listening to it a lot. Your version, mm. and it's so mysterious, mm. beautifully mysterious. And I, I kind of think at times, I mean, I know the song, the 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 thing about you go inside and keep warm. Mm. For some reason, always is incredibly moving. But I, but what do you make of it? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, um, so I sort of I sort of like split it up into parts, and I was like, well. <clears throat> Has anybody seen my love? Who is my mm. love? And um, I sort of concluded that that could be anything. You know, it could be my love as in the the person slash force that impregnated me. It could be uh, the person I am hoping will come along, the, mm. the knight in shining armour. It could be love in itself as an, as an actual noun, you know, yeah. like where is my love? Where is my thing that I can yes. have that everyone else has yeah. um, and I, I never made a decision these were just kind of mm. you know machinations that I had in my head mm. um, and uh, yeah I, I'm going to get my coat uh, all that you go inside and say warm stuff um, there's a moment in the play where and this came in later in previews as well when Connor asked me to repeat that line when I'm saying goodbye to my mother Elizabeth played by Shirley Henderson mm. 
and in that moment, it just made complete sense. Mm-hmm. It was a kind of like, I've got to go, mum. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, we're parting and mm. you look after yourself type thing. Yeah, it just it just felt like a, a, a sort of a tale of sadness and isolation and searching. I know they're quite um, open words, but, you know, when you look at Marianne's story, she's like the only black girl living in this... Um, very white community in 1930s Minnesota and mm. she she's not living with her parents mm. and she was homeschooled and she's pregnant and doesn't know how and she's about to be married off to somebody who's like 70, you know. So it's, it, it's like an... Inc- it's a real tale of loneliness and then on top of that, the one person who I think she's really connected to, i.e. her mother, is now struck with early onset dementia. Yeah. So... And she's become... She's had to grow up faster. So, yeah, I never, like, sat and overanalyzed the text because, to me, it just made sense. And it feels like, to me, in the song, that she's talking to different people at different moments. Some it, there, are, there are lines where it felt like she's talking to Nick, her father. Mm-hmm. The lines where it felt like she's talking to her mother. Lines where she felt like she was talking to the Joseph Scott that she didn't know yet. You know, the, the love interest who is the boxer who yeah. comes in mm-hmm. later times when she feels like she's talking to god or some kind of you know higher power mm-hmm. i feel like that song does do that intentionally it kind of moves around and um i just sort of embraced that and didn't didn't worry about it but it was interesting when when you know things popped open to me and the sort of madam butterfly references and mm. like, the, the wonderful thing about great writing in, in a in a long run is is when you do it night after night after night things just yeah Materialize, don't they? If yeah. it's Shakespeare or whatever, they think, "Oh, yeah." I've, I've, I've had to say that fifty times to, to for that to occur to me, but isn't mm. that wonderful? And there yeah. is, and yeah. that's why that's why Connor was absolutely the guy to write the play yeah. for this music because his writing also did that. Yeah, to have a writer who really understands not just music but understands the music they are working with because that music is pre-written mm. is very special because. Particularly with music like Dylan's, you cannot just take it and plonk it in where you want in order to create this kind of dramatic effect and no. just use it as a kind of placeholder for um, some kind of device. Mm. Um, you have to kind of take the inspiration from it. And I think that's I think that's what Connor did. I think he listened to the music first mm. over and over again and then mm. these characters started to appear and he said he went for, like, long walks and, mm. you know, it really is a marriage of the music and the text. Mm. Yeah. We we read it through the first day and we didn't do, like, long sitting down table work stuff. And then in the mornings we'd come in and we'd sing the songs in our kind of mumbly <laughs> way. <laughs> and then we'd start doing scenes from the top of the show. And we'd work out where we were standing. And, yeah, it was... It was you know, Connor has great trust in us. Um, it was about giving time for the, the text to land. And then, you know, when we revisit scenes, going, oh, I was having this thought. And he'd just go, yeah, sure, OK, mm. try it. And then maybe he'd sneak up and go, oh, I was thinking, maybe this. But it, the the notes were so gentle and so um, unimposing, and but very impactful and often opened up a lot of, of ideas for yeah. the actors. I definitely found that, you know, and yeah. a lot of scope and would be things that I could then go home and think about. 
and there's 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 no the I don't want to knock um, processes where people sit down and do the table work and do the research and talk about themes because mm. that stuff is very valid for certain type of shows. But sure. I I absolutely think that it wouldn't have been right for this piece, mm. and particularly because of the way it's kind of been created and because of the artist. You know the the music that we were working with. I just think it made sense for us to sit down and get through it and ponder it. In the same way, a lot of people who love Dylan's music just they sit and listen to it and they love it. And you know, years later, kind of epiphanies start to drop on Mm. them about what things could mean. But they're not. They haven't made it their mission to understand everything. They may have learned all the words, but they're not going there with a pen and paper to try and work out what everything means. Well, it's such a testament to the to the emotional truth and to the the talent behind it because to have something that lasts for decades and then suddenly seems appropriate in a different context mm. is what it's all about. I mean you were talking about senior and its mm. political echoes, you know. And I think that that only comes from as you're saying this emotional uh, truth and therefore bravery. Yeah. Because there's a there's a huge risk. You know, I I write songs for myself sometimes. Um there's a huge risk with like worrying that people won't understand what you're saying. Mm. Like it's too cryptic or that it won't connect yeah. or and it, you get the sense with Dylan's music particularly when you look at the 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 breadth um, of the back catalogue yeah. and how much material there is that he didn't really care about that. He just needed to get stuff out. He needed to tell stories. Mm. He needed to talk about things he was seeing, things he was feeling, things other people were feeling. He just needed to talk about it. And it was. It almost feels like even if he hadn't become the massive, massive artist he was, he still would have written all those songs. Mm. He would have done it anyway because he had to. And that's incredibly brave because every artist has that kind of self-conscious voice in their head that's that's telling them to modify things in order to appease a certain group or to appear in a certain way. Um, yeah, so, and, you know, we, we sort of took that with us. I think Connor has that as well as a writer and a director, and we never at any point felt intimidated by the work that we were working with, yeah. you know. We were told we were allowed to do what we needed to do, and yeah. that was great, and it was very empowering. Mm-hmm. But you, you kind of, it's easy to forget now that it was placed in front of the public, I think, as a thing that was true to itself, but the public and the critics could easily have gone, Absolutely. This is yeah. terrible. Yeah, absolutely. The, the public could have gone, this is an outrage, or yeah. the critics could have gone, this is, you know, boring, it doesn't make any sense. It, but because we, you know, you forget that now, because so, it is so true to itself. Yeah. But it really is, was a sort of a take it or leave it sort of statement, and people took it, but yeah. they could have just left it. From yeah. the off, I mean, you were saying how, how brave and how strange to begin a show with Sign on the Window. Sign on the Window, you know, yeah. a, a thing that's completely mysterious and has no no arc or anything, mm. and mm. it's just a great mysterious piece of music. Yeah, uh, yeah and it was a very... And then it's went to see the Gypsy, and then it's tight connection, isn't it? So um, it's a very strange opening Salvo, yeah, sequence, you know. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, just, you just do what you want to do. I mean, yeah, as you say, that you know, people could have left it in the in the take it or leave it option, and they didn't. And it was just a, it was a huge relief for me personally because I I sort of knew that there was something magical about the piece, but I wasn't sure if I was mad. You know, it's <laughs> like, yeah. is it actually magical? I'm sure it is. We all think it is, but we've all been in this room for six yeah. weeks with each other and no one else. Yeah, and also because I was able to see, you know, from the from the um, insider's view, the amount of emotional truth, but also the the 
um, generosity with which people were giving their talent, you know. And that was everyone. That was actors, musicians, um, orchestrators, directors, stage management and crew. You know, everyone was like saying, yeah, I'm available. I'm mm. available. Like, let's let's use each other for this piece to just make it what we want it to be. Mm. And because of the, that complete absence of ego and any of that kind of stuff in the room meant I just really, really wanted people to enjoy it because I had seen how it had been created. And I thought when it comes to creating stuff and, you know, making art, that is a real model for how to do it. Mm. So I'm just very glad that it translated and people liked the product. You know? It really did. Well, and we have to let you go off because you're on the uh, stage tonight. Yeah, yeah. So uh, thank you, Sheila, too. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Is it rolling, Bob? Talking Dylan is recorded in the Ma Rainey Suite at Lip Sync Studios. Engineered by Mark Langley-Smith and produced by Robin Guys. We're on Twitter at IsItRollingPod. Music is by Sam Hare. Outside, the lights were shining on the River of Tears. I watched them from the distance with music in my ears. <laughs>